This video is brought to you by Movie, a curated streaming service that premieres a new film every day. What shall we toast to? To my triumph. Cruel Intentions Catherine is callous, amoral, and manipulative, and she's also kind of right. Her rage is sharp, precise, and maybe even justified? It's hard to love this femme fatale mean girl as a person. Both she and her stepbrother Sebastian are entitled members of New York's Upper East Side, whose uber-luxe lifestyle has insulated them from wider society, to the point where they feel above the rest of the world. Sir, there's no parking, sir. You can't park, sir. You can't park. In fact, their sole real pleasure in life is crushing people's spirits and humiliating them. Her problem. Looks like somebody's in need of some therapy. But while Sebastian is given a positive character arc through his relationship with good girl Annette, Catherine is the villain of the film, which ends with the more virginal women around her triumphing in her eventual disgrace. At its core, Cruel Intentions is about elite society and the emotional reality of kids who grow up in a rich but loveless environment and then go on to perpetuate cruelty in the greater world. I can't. I feel sorry for myself because I'm some poor little rich boy. It's not your fault. Without great parroting, things can go awry. But when we look closer, it actually doesn't make much sense that the person this culture is blamed on. Who has to fall for it in the end is a teen girl. When we see Catherine through a modern lens, it's easy to see her bitter and angry behavior as a logical rage at the double standards that dictate her life. These standards allow men second chances and a wide spectrum of acceptable sexual desires, but stifle women's sexuality and confine them to limited, conservative roles. Here's our take on Catherine Murtoy and Cruel Intentions from her point of view. Now tell me, are you in or are you out? If you're new here, be sure to subscribe and click the bell to be notified about all of our new videos. Catherine is the antagonist of Cruel Intentions, which is mostly told from Sebastian's point of view. To him, Catherine is the object of his sexual desire, which she intentionally uses to wield power over him. I'll give you something you've been obsessing about ever since our parents got married. As well as the only one who outmatches him in the art of manipulation. You're just a toy, Sebastian. A little toy I like to play with. His lust for his stepsister is the catalyst for much of the plot, and when he discovers love instead, he realizes the error of his misanthropic playboy ways, and it's implied that femme fatale Catherine was, to a large degree, the bad influence leading him down that wrong path. But when we look at things from Catherine's perspective, things look a little different. Let's revisit Cruel Intentions through her point of view. Here we go. In the film's first shared scene between Catherine and Sebastian, we immediately see how differently they're treated in their elite Manhattan subculture. Catherine is putting on a show of being a pious, upstanding citizen for a new student at her school, showing off her superior vocabulary and language skills. What was that? I was thanking her. Vietnamese is really a beautiful language, don't you think? Sebastian then barges in and relishes playing the rude bad boy. It's clear he gets to openly act terribly constantly while never receiving any punishment. I can't believe they didn't expel him after what he did to the school nurse. I hear she's recovering quite well. Both characters are obsessed with their reputations, but Sebastian's reputation is based on bragging about his bad behaviors as a lady killer. It's too easy. Go get one of those moron friends of yours to do it. I have a reputation to uphold. 
Catherine's reputation is based on the opposite, not being seen to do anything dirty or wrong. And if she slips up even once, that reputation will be instantly destroyed. In fact, when the film opens, Sebastian has just ruined someone else's reputation for sport. He internet slut-shamed his therapist's daughter. There's pictures of me on the internet! <laughs> and it's clearly a routine he regularly engages in. Oh, but diddling the therapist's daughter's a challenge. She was overcharging. Meanwhile, Catherine has just been rejected by her lover. I went to great lengths to please court. Huge sacrifices were made on my part to keep him happy. Who instead fell for innocent, virginal Cecile. My feelings were hurt when I'd learned that court had fallen for someone else. The incident reinforces what she's seen in practice countless times. That for men, sex is about the conquest, while women are respected only as long as they withhold the prize of sex. She's aware that even her hold over Sebastian isn't special. It's just based on her teasing and withholding sex. Because I'm the only person you can't have and it kills you. Since Catherine is someone who enjoys sex, her culture's emphasis on female purity means she needs to keep this piece of herself hidden. Everybody does it. It's just that nobody talks about it. So it's like a secret society. While using the promise or denial of sex as a weapon in her arsenal of manipulation. If you want to continue seeing the world through the eyes of interesting women, check out the Reframing Women Director series on MUBI. This amazing collection showcases work by women auteurs spanning a vast array of themes, styles, and genres. Not sure where to begin? I recommend Matty Diop's documentary short film Atlantics, about a group of young Senegalese friends as they discuss crossing the Atlantic to get to Europe. As a special gift to our viewers, Movie is offering 30 days free. So click the link in the description below to start streaming now. If you're anything like me, these days you may be totally uninspired and stuck when it comes to figuring out what to watch next. Subscribing to Movie completely fixes that. Their team of curators handpicks every film they show, so there's always something new to discover. They seriously love movies as much as we do, so their recommendations are always top-notch. Click the link in the description below to get 30 days of Movie now. Catherine is ultimately maligned in the film for being a hypocrite. Whenever I feel the temptation of peer pressure, I turn to God and he helps me through the problem. The French novel the story is based on, Les Liaisons Dangereuses, or Dangerous Liaisons, similarly explores manipulative, amoral characters who are French aristocrats in the pre-French Revolution era. In that story, Catherine's equivalent, the Marquise de Mertoy, is eventually scarred by smallpox, her punishment for her schemes being losing her beauty, so that now, the nastiness that's inside her is visible on the outside. Yet Catherine feels her hypocritical dance is necessary. She presents as a devout Christian, morally upstanding role model to her peers, and that performance gives her power and influence. She's student body president, and people like Mrs. Caldwell, Cecile's mother, specifically seek Catherine out to mentor and protect their children. Yet despite her popularity, Catherine's life clearly isn't happy. He kept talking about this bulimic head case he dumped over the 4th of July. Cultivating her image comes at a high emotional cost that manifests in an eating disorder, suicidal ideation, and drug use. And the Marsha Brady of the Upper East Side and sometimes I want to kill myself. As a result, Catherine has a lot of bitterness and resentment, especially toward the people around her who actually do get to act on their desires, i.e. men. Guys like you in court God forbid I exude confidence and enjoy sex. She laments that even though guys like her brother and Court are much more like her, they inevitably end up choosing naive, virginal girls over confident, experienced ones like herself. But when I do it, I get dumped for innocent little twits like Cecile. Sebastian's womanizing behavior is encouraged and applauded by his culture. 
Can you imagine what this will do for my reputation? Screwing the new headmaster's daughter before school starts. She'll be my greatest victory. Catherine, on the other hand, loves sex and scheming, but she can't reveal this in polite society, which expects women to be prim, proper, and moralizing. All things she finds dumb and insidious. Do you think I relish the fact that I have to act like Mary Sunshine 24-7 so I can be considered a lady? So while her plan to destroy Court's new crush Cecile in order to punish him is clearly cruel and misogynistic, the princess will be damaged goods. It ultimately comes from a place of disempowerment. She feels she can't actually touch the man in this picture. Because if there's an attack made on court, it could be traced back to me. In the end, Sebastian's forgiven for his many sins because he falls in love. He's redeemed after sacrificing himself for Annette and essentially martyred. Meanwhile, Catherine's fall is the movie's version of a happy ending, or at least it's justice. When we step back and look at Catherine's and Sebastian's actions side by side, though, it becomes harder to see why the audience is expected to root for Sebastian but enjoy Catherine's downfall. You and I are two of a kind. At least I have the guts to admit it. Sebastian gives Cecile alcohol without her knowledge and assaults her, blackmails a closeted gay man into tricking a woman into bed with him, and publishes nude photographs online without a woman's consent. This all happens in the span of days. While love supposedly transforms Sebastian, Catherine isn't necessarily unable to love. We know she fell for court before the movie started and seems to be developing some level of attachment to Ronald, but both choose Cecile over her. It seems that the only people who get to be healed by love in this environment are guys and innocent girls. When Sebastian falls for Annette, Catherine genuinely seems to feel betrayed. Even if it's not really love between them, they're two peas in a pod. They're themselves with each other, unfiltered and dark in a way they can't be with anyone else. Fire yet? I'm working on it. Loser. They're even physically in sync, almost like a couple. But then, Sebastian goes out and, like every other guy seemingly, falls for a pure virgin and discards Catherine. What happened to us? You're in love with her, you don't love me anymore. Once he starts falling in love, Catherine quickly notices that her power over him wanes, and her attempts to manipulate him stop working as well. She plans to have him catch her in bed with Ronald when he comes up to claim his prize, but she miscalculates, as this transparent ploy turns Sebastian off. He rejects her offer of sex, so she angrily confronts him about being in love with Annette and briefly wins by appealing to his vanity. You are gonna leave school a legend. Now you're gonna leave a joke so that he temporarily breaks up with Annette. But then when he comes back again, ready to make good on their bet, she's expected Ronald to again casts her aside. You were right. You do get dumb for the innocent little twits. She's hurt in this moment and belittles Sebastian. But unfortunately, I don't f losers. But look at her face after this scene. She doesn't actually look happy about how she's torn him apart. Eventually, it comes out that as much as she seems focused on dominating over Cecile or Annette, Catherine's ultimate game has been to dominate over Sebastian. My triumph isn't over her. It's over you. And this gets at how deeply she envies the life Sebastian gets to lead in this society where he can openly brag about and be celebrated for his sexual adventures. Catherine doesn't seem to be born into the same level of wealth as Sebastian, too, given that he implies her mother married his father for money. 
How is your gold-digging whore of a mother? And, and in the central wager of the film, where she offers him sex if he can sleep with Annette, the prize she wants is his expensive car. That's a 1956 Jaguar Roadster. It's a car that's also associated with imagery of freedom, as we see Sebastian speeding along with the wind in his hair. Catherine wishes she could be Sebastian, free to drive the destiny of his life, and since she can't, she instead decides to destroy him. When we meet them, both Catherine and Sebastian are actually miserable. My whole life has been a joke. I prided myself on taking joy in others' misery. A fact that's underlined by the over-the-top sunny voices and smiles they put on for everyone except each other. As Sebastian gets free of this unhappiness through his love, this is communicated to us significantly in the moment when Annette first gets an authentic laugh out of Sebastian. It's okay, you can laugh. I promise I won't tell anybody an event that Catherine instantly recognizes as an existential challenge to her bond with Sebastian. She made me laugh. Their misery is mirrored in the tone of Cruel Intentions, which stands out from other teen movies of the time for being so dark, seedy, and bleak. And it's reflected in the film's title, which refers to Catherine's and Sebastian's shared cruel intentions, as well as Sebastian's journal. Even more treacherous than he is attractive, he has never uttered a single word without some dishonorable intention. It's their incessant cruelty that ties them together, but ultimately makes their lives so hellish. Nihilism is a philosophy founded on a belief that there is no intrinsic meaning to life, and that the concept of morality is a human construction with no real basis in reality. Alan Pratt writes that a true nihilist would have no loyalties and no purpose other than, perhaps, an impulse to destroy. And it's this impulse that guides Catherine's journey. But it amused me to make you ashamed of it. You gave up on the first person you ever loved because I threatened your reputation. As the film progresses and Catherine loses what powers she has, her actions go even deeper into nihilism. She calls Ronald to provoke him into attacking Sebastian. It's Sebastian. He's out of his mind. What do you mean? He hit me and then he took off. There's more. It involves Cecile. causing the death of her stepbrother, in the process also killing Sebastian's and Annette's future. Even from the start, there's a nihilistic streak that underpins her flirtatious attitude towards Sebastian in its implicit rejection of the social norms of how brothers and sisters, even stepbrothers and sisters, should treat each other. I'll f your brains out. In a life where they're both so devoid of purpose, the taboo that's actually shocking excites them. I'm sick of sleeping with these insipid Manhattan debutantes. Nothing shocks them anymore. Even when Catherine is destroying a girl like Cecile, despite her nasty intentions, on one level, what she's doing does support her philosophy. Because in Catherine's mind, the virtue that others prize in Cecile is meaningless. It's just a lack of experience to be quickly destroyed and gotten out of the way en route to a life of sensuality, one of the only pleasures attainable in this life. I'm gonna stick my tongue in your mouth. And when I do that, I want you to massage my tongue with yours. Nihilism explains Catherine's most iconic emblem throughout the film, the cross necklace she wears around her neck, which doubles up as a vial of cocaine. She mocks Christianity by using it as a cloak for vice. And this is taken to the nth degree in the penultimate scene in which she gives a blatantly dishonest, disingenuous eulogy for Sebastian while standing at a pulpit. What we should learn from this experience is to be true to ourselves and to resist the temptations of peer pressure. 
Catherine detests religion, chastity, and romantic love because they underpin a conservative ideal that creates the double standard in how she and Sebastian are treated, and shames women into behaving as if sexuality is morally corrupting. Catherine is contrasted with two virginal women in the film who are shown to be morally superior. It's just my belief that people shouldn't experience the act of love until they are in love. And I just don't think people our age are mature enough to experience those kind of emotions. But from Catherine's point of view, we can kind of understand why both of these women strike Catherine as so irritating and basic. Peace out. Ugh. Peace out? Moron. Cecile is cartoonishly naive, with the style and behaviors of a pre-adolescent when we first meet her. What are the boys like? Ow! Cecile. <laughs> Is that all you can think of? She's a lot less observant, educated, and savvy than Catherine, yet seems to effortlessly attract men purely due to her inexperience. Thus, her inferiority is, to Catherine, an infuriating reminder of the way her society baselessly glorifies female virginity. When we first meet Annette, she's held up by her society as a paragon of virtue for her public commitment to chastity. I read your manifesto. Most people praise me for it. She's basically the reality of the image that Catherine is pretending to be and actually despises. Why I Plan to Wait by Annette Hargrove, Kansas City, Kansas. Jesus Christ, is she for real? As Annette's relationship with Sebastian develops, she breaks her commitment to chastity and her boyfriend, Trevor. But this is implicitly celebrated in the film because it comes from choosing love. Their union represents the power of unifying love and sex, which pushes both of them to be vulnerable in ways they haven't before. I can't win with you. It's not about winning, Sebastian. You know what your problem is? You take yourself way too seriously. This is a nice love story, but the fact that this type of sex is treated as acceptable, while Catherine's isn't, suggests that sex is only seen as excusable if it's defined by true love, rather than pleasure or power. That Catherine sees sex and love as separate is what makes her, in the eyes of society, worthy of shame. She was lying on the bed, ready to do it, but I just didn't feel right about it. You're telling me you had the chance to f her and you didn't? God, are you a chump? When it was released in 1999, Cruel Intentions was on the edgier end of the teen movie spectrum. Did some people say, no, I don't know if this is right for you. This is really, really out there. Well, there were certain people in my camp who were a little nervous. As Jordan Ross, the co-creator of Cruel Intentions, the musical, put it, it was kind of that movie that you weren't supposed to let your parents know that you've seen. Joss Whedon, the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which built Geller's fame, disparagingly described the film as a porny, something Geller publicly demanded he apologize for. And these reactions show that the conservative attitude towards sex that Catherine objects to in the film was closer to the dominant society in the 90s and 2000s than maybe we'd have liked to believe. In the years leading up to Cruel Intentions, release, this conservative attitude towards sexuality and glorification of purity culture was deeply embedded in the public consciousness, from the forensic dissection of whether or not a teenage Britney Spears was a virgin, um, How do you feel about all the constant speculation about your virginity and whether you are a virgin or not? <laughs> I really wish I would have never said anything. To the public slut-shaming of Monica Lewinsky after her affair with Bill Clinton was exposed to the American public. Did you see Monica's new hairdo all slicked down with that hair gel? 
At least I think it was Hannah Jones. Cruel Intentions met with controversy in its time. New York Times journalist Stephen Holden called the film an elaborate stunt and an exploitative one. Reflecting on Catherine's and Cecile's famous kiss two decades on, Selma Blair described it as standing for a shift in thinking, saying that today that same kiss wouldn't be shocking at all. While now the idea of sex-positive teen media is more mainstream with shows like Never Have I Ever, Atypical, and Sex Education at the forefront of streaming, Fifty Shades of Grey having mainstreamed female erotica, Beyonce and Doja Cat singing about female pleasure, and celebrities like Dakota Johnson, Demi Lovato, Gwyneth Paltrow, and others launching their own sex toys, it's still something that is politicized and criticized regularly, especially in teens. Cruel Intentions wasn't the only teen movie of the time to try and engage with the sexual conservatism of the time. Reese Witherspoon may here play Angelic Annette, but the year before, she played sexually confident high schooler Jennifer in Pleasantville, who with her brother is transported into a conservative 1950s TV show, where her sex positivity feels completely at odds with society. Oh, Skip, you can pin me anytime you want to. Or maybe I should just pin you. Jennifer is known as Mary Sue in the show, a reference to the Mary Sue archetype that defines a girl as being too good, exactly the kind of person Catherine has to pretend to be. But the film's message embraces sexuality, showing that repression just removes things that are good and pleasurable from people's lives through the visual metaphor of everything becoming colorful once characters start having sex. Ironically, Cruel Intentions would be closely followed by the even raunchier American Pie, which spawned a whole franchise and helped redefine the teen movie for the new millennium. Of course, the difference in American Pie is that it's male sexual exploration that is seen as the important rite of passage, while female sexuality is kind of a joke. That's what half of band camp is, sex ed. So are we gonna screw soon? Cause I'm getting kinda antsy. Like a classic femme fatale, Catherine must be punished in the end for leading a man astray. And when she's finally shamed, her reputation, the thing she cares about most, destroyed, we see the man she doomed, Sebastian, smiling in his picture, as if he's laughing in triumph from beyond the grave. Meanwhile, the light woman, a type often contrasted with the femme fatale, is the one who gets to drive away with the car Catherine coveted. But also like many femme fatales, before her fall, Catherine is undoubtedly the most enjoyable thing and the instigator of what most people remember about the movie. Everybody loves me, and I intend to keep it that way. The elaborateness of this teenager's schemes are truly impressive work. I've recently discovered that our good friend Mrs. Caldwell is the one who sent the letter to Annette urging her to stay away from me. Interesting. She's self-possessed, refined, and so many steps ahead of everyone around her. And Catherine is not without feelings. We see her, multiple times in the story, hurting. She and Sebastian are both numb because they're suffering. It's just that he gets to find someone who really makes him smile, while in the world Catherine lives in, no one wants to do that for her because she's seen as damaged goods. Perhaps now, our world has caught up with Catherine in some ways. The things she's angry about, she's right to be angry about, and that anger has propelled a lot of feminist discourse ever since. If the story were rewritten today, Catherine probably wouldn't be the ultimate villain. To some people, she never was. You don't get to have all the fun. This is the take on your favorite movie shows and pop culture. Thanks for watching, and don't forget to subscribe.